the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Roots of Reconstruction by Rusas John Rushduni Narrated by Shelby Luke Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Rusus John Rushdooney. In lieu of the judgment of God across this nation, I appeal to you to listen, learn, and live as the Holy Spirit guides you in the truth of the Word of God. The words and prompting of fallible men do not hold a candle to the truth of Scripture, and the truth of Scripture will only be words to our ears unless we exhort, establish, and exercise these infallible words in every area of thought and life. Calcine Report number 68, April 1971. A lower class society is one in which the spirit and will of the lower class predominates. Practically, this means that the society becomes present-oriented and is governed by envy and class hatred. The lower class mind does not respond to excellence with respect or a desire to excel. Its reaction instead is to hate and to tear down, to level all things to its own status instead of seeking its own advancement by work and emulation. Instead of having working goals, either independent or imitative, the lower class mind responds with envy and hatred. Whenever a society sees the rise to power of a lower class, it also sees the growth of class conflict and social warfare. When this happens, it is also a part of a parallel development on the upper levels of society, the breakdown of the upper classes. Power is turned into license, and responsibility is abdicated. The monarchies of old Europe, for example, had become thoroughly lower class. They were pleasure and present-oriented contemptuous of moral responsibility, exploitive of the poor, and heedless of the future. Instead of respect, they excited envy. The wealthy and the poor increasingly had a common social goal, to live it up, and to exploit the opportunities of the present without regard for the future. The poor envied the nobility because they shared a common present-oriented goal. Society was given a new leadership by the rise of a class of merchantmen, entrepreneurs, who were future-oriented, and social renewal and progress followed. Now, however, the decay of that class is again creating a growing mood of envy and class conflict. The basic answer to social problems is again the revolutionary and lower class alternative of leveling. But where class conflict begins to govern... Progress wanes proportionately. Some years ago, as a student, I recall hearing the passionate defense of his country by a foreign student. Someone had questioned the native ability of his people by calling attention to their lack of progress. His answer was in essence this, We have a large number of brilliant men, many educated in America, but we do not have your religious situation nor your freedom. Certainly, we do not have your moral stature, so that credit and honesty in transactions is impossible. Policing is largely a personal matter. There is so much lawlessness 
that a fair share of our income goes for bribery and protection. Survival and self-protection take up so much of our time and income that too little is left for capitalizing society. We have the intelligence and resources, but we do not have the background of America's Puritan self-discipline, and so our capital and energies are dissipated and progress is difficult." He could have added that most of their energy also went into class warfare. Consider the plight of North Ireland and of England today. Religious warfare in the one and class war in the other are destroying these countries. Industry is leaving, superior men are beginning to migrate elsewhere, and social energy goes into conflict rather than into progress. Where the commitment to social conflict is deep or total, peace and progress become difficult or impossible. In the Soviet Union, class warfare is a matter of religious and philosophical principle. The ills of society are always ascribed to a hostile class. This means that there is a built-in inability to cope with problems because the principle of responsibility is denied in favor of environmentalism. An evil, hostile class is always responsible. The bourgeois mentality is credited with pervasive powers and conspiratorial activities against the regime. And therefore, unrelenting warfare is the answer. This warfare continues from year to year, but the inner problems are not resolved. Instead, they are aggravated. In Western nations, class conflict is deepening. It is the lower class answer to problems. Instead of developing spiritual, moral, economic, and social capital, the people increasingly want to blame their ills on a clique, class, or cabal. Such groups exist, and a lower class society makes their spectacular rise to power possible. In a class warfare society, conspiracies and revolutionary disturbances proliferate because every faction begins to see them as both the answer and the threat. A society which assumes that class conflict is the natural and permanent state of affairs is doomed. It has lost the capacity to be a society or a community. Instead, it is now a battlefield in which all people are the potential victims. To demand class warfare is to commit social suicide. There can only be a society where there is a harmony of interest. The word society in Old English meant what we now call communion. The Apostles' Creed before the Norman Conquest read, instead of the modern, quote, I believe in the communion of saints, unquote, quote, and of the saints the society, unquote. Without either the saints, the believers, or the communion, there is no society. The modern liberal is well aware of the need for communion. His goal is a society living in peace. His answer, however, is to ignore the fact of sin and conflict and to insist on peace by enforced legislation. By neglecting sin, he neglects the roots of conflict, and by trying to legislate peace, he aggravates the conflict. As a result, the nation drifts deeper into class conflict. Let us consider one aspect of that conflict, the racial situation. The attempts to force integration and to force segregation by law are very old. With Assyria, forcible integration was a policy of state. All these attempts failed when the social conditions militated against them. 
if two peoples were relatively equal and religiously congenial, integration quickly followed despite all legal obstacles. Where the differences were marked, neither opportunity nor law was able to bridge the gap. Neither legalized integration nor segregation accomplish anything more than to aggravate a situation. To introduce the state into an area of personal, religious, and moral decision is to abdicate the harmony of classes for a statist imposition. If a person or if a people are inferior, nothing can compel their rise. If they have a potential, why prevent their development? Where there are religious and social reasons against mixed marriages, nothing can further such marriages as long as the faith and the society are strong. If these factors are invalid or disappear through disbelief, nothing can prevent integration in the short or long run. The energy expended on both sides to force by law what is an act of principle and based on a way of life is a waste of energy. To rebuild or to build a society, develop your faith. The modern answers are statist. The state takes over, for example, education, and then the factions struggle to control the state in order to impose their concepts by force. The result is class warfare. Where people are free to establish their own schools and do so, the decision is then their own. In statism, men try to decide for others rather than for themselves. A harmony of interest is not the same as an identity of interest. The goal of class warfare is to create an identity of interest, to level society to one status and a common interest. Such a society is of a necessity totalitarian and equalitarian. A harmony of interest assumes a diversity of interest. This the totalitarian mind opposes. I recall not too many years ago at a symphony concert listening to the many foreign tongues spoken in the lobby. A fair percentage of the music lovers were of foreign backgrounds. The resentful reaction of one person was, quote, They're in America. Why don't they speak English? Unquote. Of such stupidity is class warfare begotten. Is there an obligation to hate their homeland in loving their new country? Must we have an identity of interest in order to be unified as a people? An identity of interest is not compatible with freedom, nor is it possible. A harmony of interest allows for the free, independent, parallel, and unified development of classes and races according to their progress and achievement. The consequences of a harmony of interest are social, economic, and political. Its roots are religious. Only when men share a common faith in the sovereign and almighty God and his government can they recognize a common law and destiny. Amos rightly asked, quote, can two walk together except they be agreed? Unquote. Amos 3.3 3. One of the first steps towards a harmony of interest is for man to recognize that the government of all things is not upon his shoulders, but the Lord's. Isaiah 9.6 This means that he cannot absolutize his thinking nor project his own will against history. God always remains the Lord. God, having made all men, all races, and all classes, has his purpose and his judgment in mind for all. 
Our duty is to fulfill our calling in our place and to uphold God's law order in all things. The force of God's law must be maintained against all men, including ourselves. Our relationship towards other classes and other races cannot be essentially one of warfare, integration, or segregation, but basically one of A, requiring all to obey God's sovereign law, and B, proclaiming the saving power of the gospel to all men. Neither church nor state can require more than that legitimately. In class and race warfare, the warfare is first of all against God in His law order. Victory in warfare can impose a truce, a cessation of formal warfare. It cannot bring either peace or a solution. Nothing was settled by World War I except to lay the foundations for World War II, which in turn has even deadlier consequences in store for the world. The drift is steadily into a more radical conflict and a greater loss of freedom. We must therefore rebuild the foundations. We cannot assume with the foolish liberals that the response to their peacemaking is peace. Their concept of peace is not God's peace, and it does not have His blessing. Neither can we assume with many foolish conservatives that the answer is in making war victoriously. To win a war no more eliminates our moral crisis than losing a war. It only eliminates an enemy outside when the greatest enemy is within. Short-term gains cannot eradicate major and abiding losses. A dying man who becomes conscious and talks briefly has not thereby escaped death. Our real sickness is moral and spiritual, and our real solution rests in a religious renewal in personal and societal regeneration. Envy, hatred, and warfare offer easy and ready answers to the lower-class mind, but the results are short-term answers and long-term disasters. For the upper-class mind, the answer is not warfare, but reconstruction in terms of him who said, quote, Behold, I make all things new, unquote. Revelation 21, 5. The grace of God can keep us from envy and hatred. His grace can make us proud and content with the gifts and calling which is our inheritance from Him. We are what we are by the grace of God, and our being is His gift to us. Quote, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Unquote. Matthew 23, 37-39 Has four conditions, all of which are inseparably related. First, Quote, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Unquote. Second, quote, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. Unquote. And third, quote, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Unquote. Meaning that you shall love yourself and be content and happy with what God made you to be. If a man hates God, he will also then hate himself and his neighbor, whatever his class or color. If a man loves himself, he will respect and develop his own abilities instead of envying another man and his abilities. Fourth, quote, love is the fulfilling of the law, unquote. Romans 13.10 So that to love God and our neighbor means to obey God's law and to work no ill to our neighbor. Deep and radical divisions exist in our world today. They will not disappear either by talk of peace or acts of war. The only remedy is the sovereign grace of God and man's response of love and obedience to God's law. Envy is a form of hatred, 
and our world talks at length and hypocritically of love while it fosters and cultivates hatred. Peace and love are byproducts of our relationship with God. When these are made primary and are divorced from God, then they become a dangerous mask of a multitude of evils. We cannot have the gifts of God without the giver. The lower class mind is very different from a working class mind. The lower class mind has appeared in kings and bishops, rich men and poor men, and it is essentially an existentialist mentality, living for the present and governed by the biology of man's moment rather than by the word of God. The peace and the harmony of interest the lower class mind aims at is a graveyard peace and harmony. Before it is too late, we must examine our institutions and ourselves. Have we been contributing to class conflict and warfare, or are we working for a harmony of interest? Calcine Report Number 69, May 1971 An age without faith and the leadership of faith is like a rudderless ship. It will be driven by every current and is destined for shipwreck unless it is repaired and given direction. The central failure of the modern age has been the failure of the churches. In the United States as nowhere else in the world, the culture should be dominated by the churches. The majority of Americans are church members. If we eliminate those who are modernists, we must still recognize that 30 to 40 million Protestants claim to be evangelicals who believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. No other group in America, however, has less impact on the national life. The communists, who are less than 1% of the population, exercise a deeper influence. But this is not all. The more this Protestant evangelicism is, quote, revived, unquote, the more irrelevant it becomes. The deeply rooted antinomianism of its pietism and the same antinomianism or anti-law temper is apparent in Roman Catholic pietism, as witness St. Alphonse de Liguori, has made it unable to work effectively in society. It has become present-oriented and experiential. Its answer to problems is not the application of God's law word to man and society, but instead a yearning for more emotional experiences and supposedly charismatic manifestations. Such experiences have been pursued to the point of the demonic. Jesus Christ required his followers to be good fruit pickers. Quote, By their fruits you shall know them. Unquote. Matthew 7, 20. He came as the great Redeemer to save his people by grace in order to restore them to the way of sanctification, the law. Romans 8, 4. Matthew 5, 17 through 18. Luke 16, 17. The law of God is his future oriented program for man and society. It is the means of warfare and conquest which God has ordained. The emphasis on experience as a substitute for law is antinomian and anti-Christian. The quote Jesus freaks, unquote, who want to repeat with God what they experienced with narcotics, quote, freak out with Jesus, unquote, are guilty of blasphemy as well as irrelevance. Their concern is not with God but with themselves. Quite rightly, the reviewer of one such leader's book commented, quote, After all the shouting and talking about God, it is Mr. B., the hippie pastor author, 
not our Lord who is the hero of the book. Unquote. What people seek in pietist experiences is themselves and their satisfaction or fulfillment. What they seek in obeying the law word of God by faith is his kingdom and righteousness. Pietism is a form of modernism. The open modernist finds his truth in the world, not in God's inscriptured word. The pietist formally retains that word but practically denies it. When science began to dominate the minds of men in the 18th century, it emphasized experimentalism as the main and even only source of truth. This idea infiltrated the churches and, quote, experimental religion, unquote, or revivalism was born. To, quote, prove, unquote, his conversion, many American churches demanded experimental or experiential evidence in the form of a revival experience. Godly faith and law-abiding living were not accepted as proof. Christian schools were regarded with hostility as a breeding ground of formal or, quote, head, unquote, religion as against, quote, heart, unquote, religion. And the result was that the churches began their decline from relevance. From men who worked to bring every area of life and thought into captivity to Christ, churchmen became men who sought an emotional experience within and retreated from the world into the cell of their withdrawn souls. To such people, Christian schools and postmillennial thinking became horrors to be decried. From being the dominating and future-oriented leaders of society, the churches began their retreat to a lower-class, present, and experience-oriented status. Even the Calvinistic Presbyterians were conquered by this new trend. Faith was not enough for church membership. They began to require an, quote, experience, unquote. Not surprisingly, the whole tradition of pietism has been readily infected by existentialism. Kierkegaard and others among Protestants, Gabriel Marcel among Roman Catholics, and with good reason. Existentialism is simply a more honest and rigorous form of experimentalism and pietism. It emphasizes the moment and the experience of the moment in divorce from the past, all law, and all schooling and morality. Logically, Sartre and others divorced that experience even from God to bring about the total self-concern of the questing, experiencing soul. Because of this emphasis on experience, increasingly the churches seek new dimensions of experience for their members, new forms of worship, quote, Jesus Rock, unquote, participation in demonstrations, the experience of peoples of other colors, sensitivity training, and so on. Quote, social relevance, unquote, is to be found, they insist, in experience. A hard, systematic study of Scripture, the application of this knowledge of Scripture to the problem of communism, economics, race, political society, and family order, is avoided. Not study, not an understanding in the light of Scripture of our world and problems, but an existential experience is held to be the answer. With amazing callousness and brutality, people are used to provide these experiences. Import some black children, they insist, into your Christian school or church and give your children and adults a new dimension of experience. Trot out some minority groups into our groups so that we can revel in our growing social experience. 
like dolls that are moved at will by little girls in their play. So these churchmen want to treat people as lifeless dolls to dance to their tune, so that their social experience may be enriched and fulfilled. Not surprisingly, the black response to this unfeeling integration game has been black nationalism and an ugly, hostile segregationism. Into this world of a decaying church, Marxism made an easy headway. The conquest of Marxism have been largely violent and brutal. They have been grounded on conspiratorial and revolutionary action. This action has been made possible, however, by the default of all other leadership. The growing bankruptcy of the modern world made it susceptible to overthrow by any well-organized group because the real revolution had already occurred. That real revolution was the progressive abandonment and overthrow of orthodox Christianity by leaders and people. The forms of faith were retained, but the power was gone and the collapse of the churches was rapid. Marxism, despite its evils, was at least future-oriented. It had a plan and a vision for man's future. As a result, it was able to capitalize on the spiritual vacuum of the 20th century and to capture many superior minds. The shallowness of its future orientation became very quickly apparent wherever Marxism gained power, and the disillusionment of its followers has been very real. Moreover, Marxism has become, in every country where it has gained power, very rapidly and inescapably bureaucratic, a super-establishment. It moves in terms of power, not faith. The results have been gradually apparent. The brutality of Marxist states is not abated and has in some areas increased. The hostility to Christianity has often been intensified. But a bureaucracy is not adventurous. It is usually concerned with protecting and perpetuating itself. It can be exceedingly brutal in its self-protection, but it lacks initiative, although it has momentum. Thus, the bureaucratic momentum carries world Marxism along the same lines established by Lenin and Stalin, but the bureaucratic self-protection makes it both resistant to charge and unwilling to risk defeat. A bureaucracy is thus present-oriented. As a result, it can blunder into serious disaster because of its inflexibility and its inability to see consequences beyond self-perpetuation. What happens in a world of present-oriented people? A basic lawlessness sets in. No law is recognized as valid if it does not suit the person or people. The situation becomes comparable to a busy intersection where traffic lights are suddenly removed, together with policemen, and every driver races to the intersection as though he alone existed. The wise driver thinks ahead. The fool tramps on the grass pedal. The failure of the churches and the inner decay of Marxism is matched by the decay of capitalism. As Irving Kristol and Daniel Bell have shown in The Public Interest, number 21, fall 1970, capitalism has declined because it has lost its basic faith. We can add that most capitalists, like labor, are not libertarians. They do not believe in free enterprise, but are instead champions of protectionism and subsidies. The rise of capitalism was an aspect of the development of Christian faith. Without agreeing with much or all that Weber and Tawney have written on the subject, it must still be granted that the development 
of capitalism had deep roots in Christian theology. Those roots are now largely gone, and with them the faith and the rationale that made for a society of dedicated entrepreneurs. Too often today when a businessman talks about freedom, he is not too different in his basic premises from the new leftist student. His concept of freedom is not too closely tied to responsibility. It is merely a desire to be free from the state's regulation while reaping the benefits of the state's subsidies. When freedom as an ideal is divorced from independence and responsibility, it is not truly freedom, but welfareism disguised. Meanwhile, in this context of civil, economic, and religious irresponsibility, hatred flourishes as one group after another tries to push all the blame on a particular class, race, or group. That tensions and hostilities are a part of life. Every wise man will readily acknowledge. That conflict is sometimes unavoidable is all too true. Under normal circumstances, law is the means whereby society controls hostilities and wages war against its enemies. Those who work to aggravate hostilities are fools. As Solomon observed, quote, He that passeth by and meddleth with strife, not belonging to him, is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Unquote. Proverbs 26, 7 When you declare war, you had better be prepared to wage it. This is a lesson that many blacks and whites and many workmen and many employers have failed to learn. It is an aspect of the lower class mind that it does not count the cost nor think ahead. A future-oriented man recognizes that while many problems have easy and simple answers, few problems have agreeable people involved. Quote, Your problem is very simple, unquote, said a simple-minded pastor once to a husband and wife who could not get along with each other. Quote, You've got to learn to live with each other, unquote. How true and how absurd. Men are not angels, and sometimes their problems will not disappear until they disappear because they will not change. Even simple problems thus are often not simply solved. Passing a law or making an obvious statement, as that pastor did, is no answer. Our progress in the past usually came slowly, and our recovery will come slowly. It will come as men, each in their sphere of action, begin the task of reconstruction. Reconstruction begins with our lives in God's grace, it extends to our vocations, our institutions, homes, and society. Life and progress are made up of a great number of little things. We cover a mile by small steps, and the surest move forward is that small step rather than a giant daydream. Remember a shovel turns over more earth than a wrecked tractor? Our religious, civil, and educational institutions are largely like wrecked tractors today. It is time then for shovel work, a great and exciting time when new foundations shall be laid, a world recaptured, and a future established by those who will work for it. Thank you for joining me this week in the reading of Roots of Reconstruction by Bruce's John Rushman. Lord willing, we will be reading again next week. Until then, may God bless your endeavors as you serve the one and only King Jesus.
It was the blood of Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the love he has shown us by his paying the very price. It was there at Calvary's tree where he died for you and me. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. 
May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.